Welcome to the Debit This, Credit That podcast with Wheeler Accountants located in San Jose, California. In this podcast, we discuss how to solve accounting challenges in both your personal life and your business. We take an energetic, tech-savvy approach to solving accounting challenges that steal your focus and your time. Now, on to the show with your tech-savvy accounting experts, Matt Wheeler and Michael Bryant. Hello and welcome again to another podcast. This is episode number 11, When the IRS Comes Knocking. Now, Matt, this sounds to me like a terrifying podcast. So how are we going to, right from the beginning, realize that uh, that there's some really concrete steps that our listeners should take if this happens? Is that a fair statement? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I'm, I'm sure... It- Everyone freaks out when they get a letter from the IRS. I freak out when I get a letter from the IRS at home, you know, at my home address. We, um, you know, as accountants, we have to register with the IRS for special numbers and everything, and they'll send us a letter to our home address, and every time I see one, I immediately freak out, right? So everyone everyone freaks out a little bit, but the the key, I think, is just to op- open the letter, obviously, take a look, and then start the process and get your representative involved as early as possible in the situation. If there's really nothing to freak out about. You know, an exam is a normal part of our tax, you know, process here in our country. And really, they're just trying to do their job to make sure that everything's being reported properly. And, if you know, we've been planning right and doing our job. We shouldn't have anything to worry about. So just about, you know, responding to the notice and making sure we have a good strategy going in so it doesn't expand to multiple years and become a bigger problem. Well, you just said, you know, make sure you have a representative in place. Uh, That's where we need to start with this. Right. So walk us through what that looks like, please. Yes, yeah, so you need to. We highly recommend having a tax practitioner, you know, CPA or enrolled agent or someone represent you in the IRS exam process at any level of the process. Really, um, you start by filling out a power of attorney form with the IRS. There's a form two eight four eight power of attorney form you fill out, and that gives your representative the authority to interact with the IRS on your behalf. And and you want to do that so that you have a professional you know, communicating with them and then relaying all the information back to you. You're really not under any obligation to talk to the IRS yourself. You don't have to. Um, they they would have to actually subpoena you in the IRS exam to force you to come in and talk to them if you have a representative. So you have a legal right to representation, and we highly re- recommend that you do it mm-hmm. because, you know, handling the audit at the beginning properly makes such a huge difference in the outcome. Gotcha. So, <clears throat> so I get a letter in the mail, and uh, and so step one is going to be uh, making sure that I have somebody like you in my corner, right? So that's very very important. Yep. But not yep. all letters are created equal. Is that is that correct? I mean, let let's talk about the different sorts of exams that there are. Absolutely. There's there's a bunch of different levels, and they go from the very mundane to the full blown exam. Um, there's actually. Well, one, two, three, four. There's actually five of them, um, five levels, basically, more or less. And one of the first levels is just what we call a matching notice in the IRS. It's a CP2000 is what you would see in the corner of the notice as the notice type. And all that basically is is a computerized or a computer-generated notice that's sent to you that says, hey, we see your tax return, we see reported X, and our system shows Y, so we think you're wrong, and you owe us money. And ironically, they never send you a letter when you when they owe you money, right? So only only if they think 
you owe them money. And the letter, the way it's uh, positioned, it has big, bold letters on the front, on the first page, saying, you owe X thousand dollars to us by this due date. You know, and then in the, the next couple pages, it kind of gets into why they think you owe it and what the sources of income are that don't match up and all that kind of stuff or the payments that don't match and that kind of thing. So a matching notice is the first, you know, kind of level. And that's not even an exam or an audit. That's hmm. just a letter letting you know that the records don't match. Do you have to act on this immediately? Yeah, you you, uh, you want to take any correspondence from the government seriously and act on it immediately. So you should be, if you have an accountant, you know, like Wheeler Accountants, you're you're sending us the letter, you know, as soon as you get it so we can help solve the problem for you, right? First, we're going to take a look at what the situation is and see if you even, even owe any money. Second, there's a due date in the letter. Uh, that's a soft due date on the CP2000 notices. So if you were to do nothing and not respond to that letter, they'd wait 30 days, then they would send you an identical letter with a new due date 30 days from then saying the same thing you owe x dollars it'll be a little more because of additional interest by that time but you still have time to respond and deal with the notice if you don't respond after the second notice then they kind of move the process along towards assessment and then collection and everything but um and we can talk about that in a second but you want to respond early on because the longer you wait the closer you get to the part where they're going to start collecting from you and taking money from you uh, the harder it is to fix the problem the more urgent everything is and it just becomes a giant pain in the butt, basically. So you want to deal with the problem as soon as possible. What happens if they're wrong, though, Matt? I mean, if we know that this is incorrect, what, I mean, what, what power do we have? Or is that power really by proxy through you because you're the expert? Um, you know, we'd recommend that you, you go through us, right? And then we can help draft a response to the IRS, let them know they're wrong and here's why. And they often are wrong. Um, a big one that we see here in Silicon Valley a lot is you'll get a matching notice because they show that you sold some stock and you didn't report the stock sale in your tax return. And this is usually related to stock options. So a lot of people here, when they exercise and sell stock options on the same day, it's usually reported inside their W-2 as W-2 income. And they think, hey, I've already paid my taxes. I've showed the income. I'm good. But there's actually two components to that transaction. There's the exercise, which triggers the income in your W-2. And then there's actual stock sale, which you need to show on Schedule D of your tax return. And if you don't show the stock sale and the IRS sees that there was a stock sale from your brokerage account from the 1099 that the brokerage gave to you and to the IRS, they're going to show a mismatch there. And a lot of times the brokerage 1099s aren't required to show the cost basis of your sale or they only show a portion of it and they don't factor in the adjustments that are required because you did a stock option where you had income on your W-2. And so it can be a very large number they think you owe in tax because they think you have a large gain, even though really you've already paid tax and that gain your W-2. Okay. So all we do in the situations is kind of get all the documentation together, draft a response, send to the IRS, and then we wait. And then we and wait. And we wait. Okay. And we wait. And we wait. They'll send you probably two to three letters that'll say, we got your response. We need another 45 days to look at it. Oh, and that'll happen like two or three times. Ooh. So, you know, they have the power to give themselves as much time as they want. Of course, we, you know, we don't get that luxury. Mm -hmm. Right. But you want to respond early and then kind of wait and see. And usually they'll come back and say, OK, we agree to your changes. Uh, you're fine. You're in the clear, you know, okay. or if whatever they disagree there, you can escalate it from there if you need to. But uh, rarely in the matching notices do we have a problem. It's usually a very simple explanation as to why they're 
they're wrong and we're right. And if they're right, you should just pay it as soon as possible mm-hmm. because you don't want to, you know, incur more interest and penalties. And, you know, their computers are pretty good. And if you miss something because you forgot you had an account somewhere and there was a 1099 and there was income from that account and it wasn't on your return, then they're going to find it usually. Mm-hmm. And they're going to, they're going to, you know, send you a bill and you should pay it. And then in those situations, you also need to remember that the state's going to come after you too. And so it's in your best interest oh. to self-disclose to the state and file an amended return before they come to you. That way you mitigate your interest and penalties with the state as well. So Okay. So that was a matching notice, which is not an exam. So why don't we elevate this to these other actual kinds of exams? And, and if you don't mind, and I, I apologize if you did this already, but I think it would bear uh, good for our audience uh, if you could explain, define what, each of these exams mean and even what an exam is. Sure. Um, you know, if we talk about the the assessment of tax process first a little bit too, because that kind of ties in, I think, to the whole thing. And we oh, should fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you're the that. expert, yeah. so, man. Let's go. Um, you know, there's a couple different levels that you get to within the IRS before they're going to, you know, swoop into your bank account and take money out of it, right? And Usually when I have clients that get a notice, their first fear is that the IRS is going to come and, you know, levy their bank account like the next day. And there's a lot of safeguards put in place by law that limit the IRS's power to where they really can't do that without going through a bunch of different hurdles to make that happen. So you actually have a lot of time before you get to that stage. When you get that letter from the IRS saying, you're, you know, they think you owe this amount of money, they're proposing an assessment of tax. So they're saying, we think you owe this much tax, but it's not on your record as owing the tax yet. You have a, an opportunity to respond and disagree and, and fight it or whatever. But, you know, it's not actually on your account as owing the tax. Now, if you don't respond after a period of time or if you agree to it or whatever, then they will actually assess the tax. When they assess, you do have some options at that point. You can still appeal usually or you can petition the tax court which if you haven't gone through appeals yet, they're just going to kick you back down to appeals. But you have options to you know, fight it still at that point, even after the tax has been assessed and your account now shows that you owe the tax. And then after assessment, the collection process begins. And the collection process takes um, a fairly long time. Typically, there's a series of letters. There's like three to four different levels of letters that take place, and they get nastier and nastier. And one of the final ones you want to look out for is a CP 504 letter, which basically says that we intend to levy your assets to collect on this debt. Mm. That's when you're getting serious. And we get new clients that come into our office every once in a while where they're at that stage already. And at that point, it's like an emergency, right? And we need to get on it ASAP because you only have anywhere from 30 to 60 days before, you know, it's going to hit the fan, right? So... Those are kind of the three stages, proposed assessment, assessment, and then collection. So as you go through any process dealing with the IRS on any sort of dispute where they think you owe more tax, you have time. You also have options along the way to fight it. So you don't need to, you know, lose sleep at night immediately upon getting a letter saying they think you owe some money. You know, while it is scary, um, a lot of times they're wrong or a lot of times we can get that down or we can fight the penalty portion of it or something and, and, you know, have a better outcome. But there's a, there's a lot of steps that take place first, and they're not going to go in and take your assets, you know, the next day. They're not going to file a lien on your house immediately. You know, they don't do that till the very end of the process if you really can't pay and you've gone through assessment and the full collection process. Okay. So now define exam, please. 
Uh, so, so tell us what that means, and then let's go through those different types of exams. Yes, yeah, so the IRS uses the term exam. We commonly refer to it as an audit, right? Everyone calls it an audit. They're interchangeable. It's the same thing. You know, we use the word interchangeably when we're talking about IRS exams or IRS audits. That's when they're going to go and they want to look at specific items of income or deduction on your tax return, and they want to have you verify those amounts, so prove that the deductions are valid according to whatever substantiation requirements there are for that code section, or they want to prove that the income was disclosed, or whatever the case may be. So an exam is much more in-depth than the, the matching notice. That's a very superficial, and it's not exam. They're not asking for proof. They're asking for an explanation. In the exam, they're asking for proof. So here's where it starts to get more interesting and being well prepared and having representation becomes extremely important. And there's a few different types of exams. They range on the low end from a correspondence exam to uh, office exam to a field exam. And then they have these other exams that they call research audits, which are actually the um, research audits are the nightmare of exams. These are um, a program the IRS created to kind of measure overall compliance with taxes and they basically look at every single item on your tax return <laughs> for the year and they need a proof for everything no matter how small you know it's absurd they don't do these too often but if you are the unlucky person that's been chosen for this be prepared to go through every little thing on your return it can be literally a nightmare for those but those are really rare so you know we're not going to cover those in this podcast okay but the other three are a lot more common, the correspondence, the office, and the field. All right, so let, let's go in order of severity. So let's go least least uh, severe here with the correspondence exam. Break, break this down for us. Yeah, so the correspondence exam, that's, that's a limited scope exam. Um, the IRS sends you a letter. They say, we're examining your return, Matt Halloran, and you know we want to take a look at your top advisor radio business, and we want to look at these couple categories of expense, meals and entertainment, your auto expenses, and then your your rent expense or something. And so they'll check little boxes on the form that'll say which ones they want to look at, and they'll give you a time period, say 30 days, to provide all the substantiation and records that prove the amounts you claimed in the return for your business that they're auditing. Um, <clears throat> I, I dislike correspondence exams the most, personally. They're frustrating for me because you're not assigned a person to work with at the IRS. You're you're sending a response to a black hole there, and then you're getting a response from the black hole at a later date. So when there's some more nuanced things that are in the return or more difficult to explain over correspondence, better explained in person or something, you can't really do that. You know, they're, they're not my favorite, right? But they're also the least invasive kind of exam. They're usually just limited to a few certain areas and that's it. They don't audit other parts of your return. Most often these happen with a Schedule C business when you're self-employed and it'll be just a few areas where they're going to, you know, be choosing to audit you. So what happens if they're wrong here? You're talking about throwing things into a black hole. What what are the sort of time frames that you need to file an appeal or that you do it on our behalf? What, how does that stuff work? They'll give us an initial time frame with which we can respond to the, um, you know, the stuff they're looking for. Well, you typically ask for a little more time because it's pretty tight. You're like 30 days and, you know, you're going to need time to gather your records. We're going to need time to review what you put together and then kind of compile it in a format that's good for the IRS and then send it off. So we usually ask for more time at first. That's usually not a problem. You can usually get in there 30 to 60 days relatively easily. 
And then we'll send our response to the IRS with all our backup for all the documentation that was claimed on the return. And if we have everything that we're, you know, claiming, then we just wait for them to get back to us and they'll issue a draft report. And it could be, you know, best case is a no change report where they agree that, you know, everything's fine. We don't own any more tax and we're done. If they determine that some of the stuff that we sent was not valid or not good enough for their liking and they, they're going to disallow some of the deductions and they're going to put that on the report, they're going to increase your income by the amount of deductions that they're disallowing or by the amount of income they're adding on. They're going to run a little tax calculation. And they're going to say you owe this much tax with interest and penalties and you owe by this date. And if you agree, sign here and send us a check. And if you don't, then we can go to appeals, which is the next level up. Um, appeals I do like because when you get an appeals officer, they're generally a little higher level than the IRS. They have more tax knowledge and you can reason with them. Um, but that process takes a long time. You've, you've been waiting, you know, six, nine months to get assigned an appeals officer. The IRS is very short staffed these days. So this whole process, all of it can take a long time when you start to get into, you know, more complex situations or you have a, some sort of dispute. So what's next? So next is an office exam. So <clears throat> the correspondence exam, just the back and forth. We write letters. They say this. We say that. We fight it. Whatever. Office exam is when we get to work with a real live agent to um, work through the issues on the tax return. An office exam, they'll send another letter saying you're being chosen for examination. Uh, they'll usually include in what's called an information document request or IDR. And that'll have a whole laundry list of stuff that they want to look at on your return. It can be very specific. It could include general things. They could want you to include statements about your business, for instance, and some history of it. Um, you know, they'll want to see proof of all certain types of deductions and that kind of stuff. A lot of times they'll kind of throw the whole kitchen sink at you at the beginning. And so, you know, that's why it's important to hire a, a experienced professional like us. What we'll do is we'll go and talk to the agent, you know, call them up after we have our power of attorney signed from you and say, hey, I'm representing Matt Halloran, got your audit notice. Uh, we would like to ask for a little more time to gather our records. You know, we'd like another 60 days if that's possible. And you know, they say, sure, that's fine. And then we get into the, you know, first document request and we ask, you know, hey, you know, get a lot of stuff on here. Um, you know, Matt's got all the records, you know, we're in good shape. But if we could limit the scope of this, if we could, he's got a lot of little gas receipts. And do you really want to see every single little, you know, $30 gas receipt? Can we, do you want a sample out of that account? Do you want to give us to give you a ledger and you can pick the 10 that you want to see? Or can we just skip anything under $75 or, you know, things like that? And they're usually pretty reasonable. And then we can actually get them to, you know, decrease the scope of the audit pretty substantially. And that, you know, saves you time putting records together, saves us time and, you know, avoids them looking at so many areas, which could lead to other questions. And we go from there. The, the longer the audit goes on, the more stuff they look at, mm -hmm. the more time that the agent has invested in your case, the more they want to get something, right? Because their boss is breathing down their neck to close cases and move on. If right. they're spending a lot of time on a single case, they need to get some return on that, on that time investment, right? So you want to be in and out of there quick as possible, okay. you know, make their job easy. That way they can move on to the next guy who has crappy records <laughs> and they can nail him for tens of thousands of bucks, right? But they're there not going to get Matt Halloran because he has good records. Right. I like the fact that you just gave some people some confidence there that, that having somebody like you in the corner, you have the opportunity to, to negotiate in their language. Right. Exactly. When you say negotiate in their language, it's really important because, you know, we also know the things that we 
we don't want to say. Sometimes the client will say things that just lead the agent down a path that we don't want them to go down to. Not like we're hiding anything, but it just could raise eyebrows and questions and further delay the audit because you're, you got to know like the words to avoid. Right. Right. Um, and there are situations where it's like, if you, if we have a business where it's a little more of a gray area, not as profitable in the beginning and the IRS is looking at the, you know, overall profit and how many years you've shown a profit and that kind of stuff. Like we never want to use the H word hobby because there's <laughs> hobby loss rules. And if you use the H word, you're done. They're going to, they're going to say, you're not in it for a profit. You lost money. You can only deduct the expenses of the amount of your income and the rest you lose. Gone. Wow. Right. And there's no rule against losing money. <laughs> really? You can be you can be bad at business, you know, or bad at whatever you do and lose money and offset it against your other income. But after you lose money for three years in a row, the burden of proof shifts on you to show why you're in the business for a profit. So you gotta show that long term you are gonna make a profit. And there's certain okay. types of businesses or activities that people get involved in where there's a lot of a lot of startup costs time and effort spent in the beginning to build up clientele or revenue or whatever until you start to show a profit. And so you really just want to, you know, that's like one example of where you want to avoid certain, certain things like that. Gotcha. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's dive into the, the exam of all exams here. Yeah. So the office exam is uh, the next level up from the correspondence exam. You're working with a live person, that kind of thing. The field exam is kind of the next level above that. Have you seen Zero Dark Thirty, the movie? I, I have not. You've not. Okay. It's about, you know, all the interrogation of terrorists and in Iraq and and everything and the war on terror to try and find Bin Laden, and they go in oh, there I'm, and they yeah, torture I'm, everyone in yeah, these I'm dark absolutely, rooms. Yeah, I'm familiar with the. Uh, I'm familiar with what the movie was about, but I I haven't seen it. Now hold on here. You're not saying that this is actually what happens in a field exam, are you? No, I was okay. going to say something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. I don't know. I just I saw that, that thing you were chasing there. I'm thinking to myself, oh, my gosh. That, I really – okay, I'm totally hiring you guys from here on out because I definitely don't want that to happen. <laughs> no, it's not, it's, not, it's not that scary. So uh, a field exam is just when the agent wants to come out, and they usually want to go to the taxpayer's place of business. This is, this is more common when we have a business audit, You know, whether you're self-employed or whether you have a separate entity like a corporation or something. And um, – Field exams, they're looking for a lot of stuff around the actual place of business to kind of give them clues if you're hiding anything, you know, beyond just the actual records. What we always do is we have the agent come to our office, you know, the accountant's office, and, and we have you bring your records here, you know, assuming it's practical to do so, which these days more and more it is because more and more is paperless. It's not as much gigantic boxes of stuff like it used to be. So we'll have them come into our office and do most of their work and digging through records and asking questions of us and everything. And then if they really, really insist on doing a field visit where they want to go visit your place of business, um, you know, we'll agree to it, but we'll do it separately and we'll make sure that we're there and we'll make sure they don't snoop around everywhere. And, you know, it's just not good for your business. I mean, right. think about it. If you're, if you're a client, we, you don't want the IRS snooping around on a day. You got customers coming into your office. And you're like, Oh yeah, the IRS is here looking at us. They're like, well, what are you doing wrong? But you know, so yeah. You know, we, we want to limit that as much as possible, right? We don't want the IRS going to your place of business. They, they can come to our office and put them in a dark room with no lights and no windows, and they can look at your records and, you know, <laughs> have, have fun in there. No air conditioning, you know? So, very good, very good. Anyway, so the, uh, you know, the field exam, very similar to the office exam. It's going to be the same thing with the information document requests and that kind of stuff. Um, just they're coming to your location. They're coming to see you and review the records. 
And uh, sometimes it's necessary because the records are so voluminous that they have to come out to you. You can't just bring them into the local IRS office. So those are you know relatively common too. Field exams, office exams, they're kind of interchangeable. Just depends which one they decide they want to do. Okay. Now you guys have an actual strategy. You got what one, two, three, four, five, six, seven kind of sections to this strategy. So let let's talk about. And here, here's like the, the meat and potatoes, everybody, because the first step here with your strategy, as you had said, was ask for more time, which is an interesting strategy. But, Matt, go through the rest of these points here so that if people do get these letters, they at least know a step-by-step way to really attack this. Yeah, our, our go-to is always asking for more time. We don't do it for the for the um, the notices we talked about earlier, the matching notice. We don't need more time for those usually. But... For for any sort of exam, we always ask for more time because they usually want to schedule an appointment and meet within like 30 days. And you need time to put together all your records. And our next part of the strategy is being prepared. And to be prepared, you have to have time to do that. We need you to have time to get your records together and organized. Then we need time on our end to review everything, compile it, put it in an easy-to-understand format for the agent. And then we have need time to give it to them. And then for them to review it. So usually the initial time they're requesting of like 30 days, it's too short. It's not good enough. So you can, I've never had an agent, you know, not give me more time. I, there could be a scenario where if you're up against a statute of limitations because it's been a long time since the year was filed that they may be less willing to. But usually in those cases, they're going to have you sign something that extends the statute anyway so they can have more time to, to audit you. And if you don't, they're just going to disallow everything on your return. So um, asking for more time is something we, we pretty much always get. And that really gives us time to be more prepared. Um, having a good, complete file can mean the entire difference in the exam. We've had some success, some really great success with some clients where we had, you know, they had a business that was maybe, it was a little more aggressive position on the losses taken in early years. Not that the deductions weren't, you know, valid or anything. We had backup and proof for all the expenses. But, you know, there were significant losses in early years, and the IRS is probably going to come back to us and say, I embraced my client for this. I said, okay, Joe client, they're going to they're gonna come back with the hobby loss argument here. They're going to say you're not in this business for a profit. So I need you to put together a memo outlining your whole business plan, all the market research you've done, all, the, all this backup that we have so we can show to them, you know, we take this business really seriously. We're in it for a profit. There's losses in the beginning. It's not uncommon, but we expect to make a profit of X dollars in years four and five and six or whatever. Position ourselves for that argument. But on top of that, his team had put together this beautiful binder for the exam. It had every category of expense he claimed on the return. It had a summary sheet that showed the total and then each item of expense that added into the total. And then behind that sheet, it had the proof of the invoice and the payment for each expense, which matched those numbers on each lead sheet or each summary sheet. And then all those numbers tied exactly to our tax return. So this is this beautiful, well-put-together binder. The agent came into our office. This was a field exam, but we did it at our office because the business is actually in Idaho. The IRS agent, you know, I met her. We talked for a little bit. She went through the standard questions that she had, they ask. Then uh, I gave her the binder the client had. We didn't talk about the hobby loss thing. We don't bring up anything unless the IRS brings it up. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just part of the strategy. And then I let her at it, you know, let her have take some time to review all the records and everything. 
I went back to check in. I went there a couple hours later. She asked how things were going. She said, oh, they're going really great. You know, I'm I'm just making sure that you put this line of income on this on the right line here on the return. I think it might go on this line instead, which this is like this was a completely trivial thing that made no difference to the actual <laughs> tax due. Uh-huh. So I'm like, okay, well, that's great. You know, keep researching that. Make sure you find out if it's on the right line or not. Let me know if you have any questions. Walked out, came back in an hour or so later, and she said, hey, thank you so much. Everything was really great and organized well. I'm going to recommend a no change to my boss, and then, uh, you know, I think we're all done here. And boom, we got no change. The whole argument, the battle we were bracing for didn't even come up. And I attribute that entirely to being prepared with good records. Mm -hmm. Now, imagine, imagine the opposite. Imagine if we went in and we had sloppy records, nothing tied out, we were missing a bunch of things, and then, you know, she would have to look through it and say, okay, well, now I need this more information or, you know, this, and I take it back to the office. Now she's got some time into it. Now there's tax. Then her boss looks at it. Her boss maybe is more knowledgeable with the hobby loss rules. She says, well, what about the hobby loss issue here? Should we ask about this? Pretty soon they're asking about that. Then we're in this huge fight on that. You know, the agents may not have a high technical skill level on some of the nuanced things like the hobby loss rules and they're not able to interpret like, you know, the various court cases that have come down where taxpayers have won or lost on that issue. So all of a sudden they're going to disallow the entire thing because of the hobby loss rules. Now we got to go to appeals and fight it there with appeals. Maybe the appeals officer, we can get a better, you know, situation or get like a partial win or something. But not only have the client not spent way more in fees with us to go through all these steps, they may end up losing money anyway. So being prepared is, is paramount. That's huge. Well, and, and so you're going to be able to help with that. Are there anything? Is there anything on this exam strategy that uh, that your that that your clients help you with besides the the preparation? One of the things that you say here is, be willing to horse trade. What 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 does that mean exactly? That's part of the strategy that we do with the IRS, and we have some issues where we have kind of some partial issues where we're going to win on some. We're probably going to lose on some, okay, or it's going to be maybe not worth fighting on some of them. Mm-hmm. So this this came up with a client where we had a couple issues under audit. There was some rentals that were short-term rentals, and we had we done a podcast on the vacation home rules, and we have a white paper on that. You got to go to our website to read about it. A great write-off, huge, huge even. Um, <clears throat> but so we had those issues. They were big losses. They were write-offs. But then. We also had some expenses the client was taking where they were on Schedule A as itemized, miscellaneous itemized deductions for their business. Those were pretty large expenses too, but they're the two major areas here that we were under issue. We didn't have a super strong case on the miscellaneous itemized ones, or not as strong of a case. The rental was a little better. I felt more comfortable with that one. And so the, the ones on Schedule A, when we ran the numbers on the return, if we took them out, it actually made no difference because those items aren't allowed for alternative minimum tax purposes for AMT. So it actually wouldn't change the tax due at all. So it changed the state tax a little bit, but not the federal. The rental, on the other hand, would have made a big difference in our tax due. So I went back to the auditor. I said, okay, why don't why don't we give you guys the Schedule A stuff? You can take that one, but we, we want to keep the, the rental loss. You know, we feel we're, we have a strong case on that. And they agreed to it without even running the numbers, right? So then we, we were able to horse trade here in a situation where we didn't we didn't really lose much by doing so, and we kept, we preserved the larger deduction, right? So it's just, you know, one of those things where you got to be willing to give them a bone every once in a while mm-hmm. to have them get a little bit of a win. You know, if you're in a situation where you don't have all the records, right? If we're down that path where we're not going to get, you know, a no change on the audit and we're pretty confident we're not, 
start thinking about where you can give them a little wins and little victories so you can keep the bigger stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Or a lot of times there's issues where it may affect future years more or be a bigger issue in future years. And so you want to fight more for those. And the IRS may not know that that's where you're coming from on that. So they, they may not care to give you those ones. And you can give them the easy small ones that don't matter as much, right? Or the ones that are just a current year thing. So well, let's talk about appeals. Negotiate. So, so I'm sorry. I, let, let's talk about appeals there just because, I mean, if, if horse trading isn't working and some of the other things, you still have recourse, correct? Getting an agent in the exam process is the total luck of the draw. It's a lottery. I mean, you can get a good agent who's been around a long time and knows the rules pretty well and is reasonable and uses their judgment wisely, or you can get the green agent that's only been doing it for a couple of years and doesn't understand as much about taxes, right? That's unfortunately the case. The IRS, just like everywhere else, has issues with um, not only retention, but you know, large chunks of their more experienced personnel hitting retirement age. So you know, we're seeing more and more agents that are inexperienced. So sometimes we get a situation where they're just not understanding the, the tax rules and how they work, and we're getting nowhere. And so we basically just tell them flat out, we disagree, go ahead and disallow, and then we go ahead and file an appeal from the revenue agent report. And then from there, we can go to appeals, which is a whole other level. Appeals is the next step in the tax you know, dispute process. Okay. Most of the appeals officers are highly experienced. They've been around for a long time. They know the tax rules. And with them, you can really talk the nuances of the tax positions and um, – they can also do even more of the horse trading or negotiation. So they actually have the right to consider the hazards of litigation because the step beyond them is the tax court. And then the government would need to put some attorneys on the case to fight, you know, to fight your, you know, for their position against you. That gets expensive. Mm -hmm. So there may be issues where, you know, we trade and, you know, split it down the middle or some of those kind of things because they know they may win, but it may take a lot of time. They know we may win. It may take a lot of time and money. So, they're willing to give us something even though maybe it's more questionable or whatnot and vice versa. So okay. appeals, you can get a lot of, you know, good out of appeals or if the eight, if the original agent just had no clue and was a complete idiot, the appeals officer can, you know, rectify the situation and get it fixed for you. So, um, you have a lot more options there. It just takes a long time to get there. When you apply for appeals, you're waiting six, nine months to get assigned an appeals officer wow. and then schedule and then schedule a meeting. And then go through the whole process with them. So you're looking at least a year probably to get your issue resolved if you're going the appeals route. But mm. that's what you got to do. Right. That's what you got to do. Okay. And if you do owe some tax, you can do it. You can make a deposit or you can put, pay some tax as early as possible and really mitigate your interest and penalties. And it also shows some good faith. So if we got a client where we think we're probably going to owe some money, we'll have them talk about making a payment, you know, and not waiting the year because it's going to keep racking up interest and everything. So you know, making a payment earlier may, may help your case a little bit, especially in appeals, showing, hey, we agree on these. We already made a payment, but we strongly disagree on these couple issues or whatever and, and deal with it there. All right. So let's let's uh, let's go back through some of these different steps here and uh, we'll wrap up episode 11 today. All right. So you got to remember, you know, dealing with the IRS can be scary. We all freak out when we get a letter. Blood pressure rises. Heart rate increases. But having proper representation and a solid plan in place can really improve that final outcome for you. Um, you know, the simple steps you got to take, you got to hire us. We need to ask for more time. We need to get prepared for your exam. 
We need as detailed of records as possible. And the more work that we do up front, the, the better your ultimate outcome is going to be, the, the better the chance of you getting a no-change situation. And an exam can often be a lose-lose for the for the client, you know, because even if we get a no-change, they're still going to owe us for our fees, right? We we bill hourly for the representation work. It's, it's a luck of the draw on getting audited, right? But, you know, at least getting a no-change preserves as much of your, you know, deductions as possible. And it also really helps you in future years if they come back and try and re-audit you on a similar issue. If you had a no change from a couple of years ago, that's a strong indicator that they're wasting their time and we can get out of there. Success is, is mitigating the damage. Minimal tax owed or no tax owed is the best. And, you know, obviously staying out of jail is a success. So <laughs> we, we, we try and keep you out of jail. That's awesome. Um, and, and jail is like extremely rare too. I mean, fraud and that kind of stuff. We don't really deal with any of that. We would have a tax attorney involved at that point who is well more versed in that kind of thing. But I've never seen an issue where they've claimed fraud or even gone that route. Um, you, you have to be pretty egregious. I'm not saying telling everyone to push the envelope or anything, but jail is, is so far off for most most folks. you you got to be like hiding hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash in your restaurant business because you have a second register kind of thing or whatever. And even then jail's probably unlikely, but big fines are likely. So, hmm. um, you know, people tend to worry or see the worst, you know, they imagine that interrogation room in zero dark 30 or whatever, but you know, it's not, it's not the case there, there's just agents for the government. There are people doing their job. I mean, I like to think that they probably hate their job at night going home because they're for the government. So, you know, they're already having a hard enough day. Mm-hmm. I try and take it easy on them. And uh, just try and get to a good resolution for them. So, so I, I get this correspondence in the mail. What what what? Just walk us back through there real quick. So, what what do I do? You let us know immediately the correspondence that you got. Send us a copy. We can determine, you know, what sort of resolution is required or if any, you know. But we got to know about it. It may impact your prior return. It may impact a future return. They could have changed some sort of payment going in from one year to the next. You got to let us know. We always ask our clients if they've been contacted by the IRS or any of the state government agencies. Um, you just got to let us know. That way, if it's an exam or, you know, the worst, like an exam, we can at least, you know, prepare for it properly and, and be ready. But we got to know and get out ahead of it. Be prepared to have a good outcome. Fantastic. Well, thank you for your brain today, Matt. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you.